You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. Just a quick intro to this one. This was a Patreon-only episode we did March of 2020, like right when we were, most of us around the world, were starting to deal with this COVID pandemic that, you know, what, a year and a half later, uh, we're still in. But this week, we have a really amazing interview with Amanda Romo, who is a college professor in Los Angeles. And Amanda reached out to Angie and I and was telling us her story about how she uses the All Creatures podcast and a few other animal podcasts to teach her students. And obviously, Angie and I as educators, it piqued our interest. So we reached out to her, and then we actually just invited her on the podcast to talk about students learning and where things such as teaching about endangered species, climate change, and and others is helping her students learn. So look for that interview later this week. But to honor her and to thank her for that, we asked her what species she, she would love for us to cover, and she said raccoons. And Angie and I could have sworn we did raccoons, but I... I looked at our release list and I'm like, we never released an episode on raccoons. We did raccoon dogs, which is an amazing episode. Go back and listen to that one if you haven't. But I couldn't find the one on raccoons. But I'm like, I after you do 100 plus species, your mind does get a little mush on some of this stuff. And I'm like, I know I researched raccoons. I know it. I know it. So I went in and I found found the episode where we had released it to our Patreon only subscribers. So we're going to release this one uh, to to thank Amanda for the work she's doing with her students. And this is just such a fun species. I love raccoons. You know, growing up in North America, seeing them, seeing them in the wild, helping with wildlife rehab with raccoons. So we just want to thank our Patreon subscribers for supporting us. Again, you know, a Starbucks a month, you donate to us. We give back to wildlife organizations. And you keep this podcast going so we can keep reaching all of our fans around the world. But enjoy this episode on raccoons. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. So, I mean, I think you know, a lot of people know what raccoons look like. You know, they have that black fur mask on their face, the, the dark rings around. What can they teach us? Many of our listeners that a raccoon is known for its almost primate-like intelligence. They're known as clever beasts. They're known as... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, we're covering one of my favorite animals. This is one of my favorites. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh, It is an intelligent, a curious, an iconic, a masked Mm -hmm. bandit, if you will, uh, and just really near and dear to our hearts here in North America. Yes, yes. Uh, so yes, the raccoon. It's, um... I just love them. I love. I've loved them my whole life. I've just. I've always loved raccoons. I just have. Yeah, I could watch them eat. I can watch them interact. I can watch them climb. They're just. 
I don't know. They're just so mischievous. Yes. Yes. But they're so darn cute that it's okay. And and they're really not mischievous. They're just really smart and able to. Mm -hmm. They've been they've been able to live with with us in urban places. Well, I was just gonna say. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Okay, so I was just gonna say when I lived in San Francisco in the big city. Mm-hmm. In a condo, right? A mm-hmm. uh, long time ago when I gotten out of the army and that was before I went to grad school. The first time I saw raccoons in my backyard, I about died. They got into the dog food and it was a mom <laughs> and her babies. And I was like, are you kidding me? Raccoons were doing phenomenal in the city. It, smack dab in the middle of the city. Same I was like, Chicago. what are you doing here? Yes. Yeah. No, I know. It was just, and obviously being a nature, when you put a nature lover like yourself or myself mm-hmm. in the city, like I enjoyed the fact that I lived in Chicago for some of my twenties uh, because of all the cultural experiences that I had, plus working at the zoo. But uh, the city life for me is was slightly unnatural coming from my yes. childhood living in the country mm-hmm. and then just being an, an animal and nature lover. So yeah, when those kinds of things happen when you're living in a city, it's like, yay, a little taste of wildlife. And and interestingly enough, in Chicago, uh, at the Lincoln Park Zoo, they have a whole urban wildlife institute, which is oh, really okay. cool. Okay. They do a lot of yeah. uh, monitoring mm-hmm. uh, wildlife that lives in the city. And of course, there's parks and things like that uh, in Chicago and other major metropolitan cities, but they kind of see how they can help better protect them, but also keep them safe. Some, you know, rather they have to relocate or uh, just keeping an eye on what these populations are doing. And some of them, like some of the bird ones, if they're, uh, have, if they're endangered or threatened. So, but the animals, that's amazing. I mean, the, the raccoons have had no problem. Well, I shouldn't say no, no. problem, but uh, have seemed to integrate it pretty well into urban life as well. And so I, you, you got to give them that, that nature of them to survive and just be so clever to find dog food in downtown San right. Francisco. I know. I know. Like, and it's good for you guys. You win. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here's, I'm just, here's amazing about them too, you know, before we really get into, into it because of escapes and deliberate introductions in the last 50, 60 years, they now find raccoons in Europe in the Caucasus region and Japan. And they're doing phenomenal, which isn't good for those ecosystems. We'll talk sure, about it, but, sure. but it shows how well they adapt. Right. They, yeah, they now in Europe, they're all over Europe now, like raccoons, like just crazy. And I think it's always special to, when I would see them in, uh, in the city or even at mm-hmm. home now. Uh, it's rare to see them during the day because they're more nocturnal for obvious reasons. And we'll talk about that when we get more, when we get into their behavior, but so it, it is kind of special, like if you happen to be out at night, right, and you see one, or it's dusk or dawn, and I just catch a glimpse of them, and you're kind of like, "I see you, you smart little, mm-hmm. you smart little oh, smart. good for you." Yeah. So and then and I don't know. I mean, we always talk about the cutest babies, mm-hmm. and uh, a raccoon kit yeah. has just got to be. It's up there. I mean, it's up there. It's definitely went up there. They're just they're adorable. They're adorable. So this is for our Patreon only listeners. Thank you for being patient. You know, we, uh, we just got slammed at the beginning of the year with everything going on and, and both of us got sick actually. So, uh, thanks for being patient, but this is for you only. And just, you know, thank you. We're giving back to wildlife organizations and we're making a difference. I know we're making a difference and we're going to continue to make a difference and provide and free education. We're doing it together because yeah. you're helping. So yes, thank yes. you for your support. It's, Really appreciated, and we love you. Yes, yes, we do. We do. And you want to stay tuned because Angie's got some cool raccoon facts, right? We got some cool stuff. Well, Chris, yes. When I was approaching this podcast, thinking about their natural history, and you're you're rubbing off on me, buddy. I, mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. evolution, like, huh? It's cool. And, I, and I'm like, are they more like a cat or like a dog? That's kind of right. how I approached a lot of their reproductive behaviors. We'll talk about. But I will say that they have, uh, they're definitely cat-like on their feet. So stick with us and you learn how fast a raccoon can run, but also how far it could potentially fall from a tree 
or I guess a building if they're, if they're yeah. in the city, city without injuring themselves. Okay. Okay. Which in my Have opinion make them more cat-like. So. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah, you're leading to that one. But <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people know what raccoons look like. You know, they have that black fur mask on their face, the uh, the dark rings around their tail and, you know, this gray brown fur, you know, they're, they're just so charismatic and so beautiful. It just, that's why I think people love them. They're just so cute. That face. Oh yeah. I mean, and there's songs about, you know, Rocky raccoon and it's just mm -hmm. in cartoons. So yeah, the mass, the mass bandits, the, uh, they, they're just incredible and fuzzy with their bushy tail. Yes. Uh, I mean, and of course too, we'll talk a little bit more about their anatomy, but their forepaws or their, their hands, if you will, mm -hmm. resemble human hands Yeah, and yeah. they're really dexterous, which we'll talk about. So they have, and they have five toes. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So it's just, it's, yeah, they're just super cute. So. Now we'll we'll put some good photos on the uh, yeah yeah uh, on yeah, show notes show notes, but of course, YouTube videos can uh, help you out with a lot of fun raccoon stuff. I know I went into some deep dives this week just I know <laughs> yeah, and you know you usually think they're kind of small, but I mean they can be you know they're from head to hind quarters you know sixteen inches up to twenty eight inches or seventy centimeters, so they can be a little bit bigger than you think. They're, and then you add their tail, their tail can be 16 inches long. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, pretty long uh, shoulder height. They're about, they can stand up to 12 inches at the shoulder or 30 centimeters. And then the weight really varies. Again, it's where they're going to live. I mean, I've seen some huge raccoons and I've seen some smaller raccoons, but they really ranges from like 10 to 60 pounds. Sure. It's crazy. Yeah, we're talking small yeah. dog size, medium dog size. And yeah. what I found really incredible when I was reading about their size and their weight is it does vary depending on where they live. Uh, a raccoon mm -hmm. in Florida where I'm living versus a raccoon in Michigan where I grew up, it's going to have a different body size. And of course, in the north where it gets colder, they can achieve body masses of over 50% body fat. Wow. I've seen some fat raccoons. You know what I mean? <laughs> and especially if they're some, getting yeah. to your, you know, your dog food in Chicago or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they found a good uh, garbage can. So, yeah, I mean, they, you know, their bodies know that they need to store up in order to survive colder weather. But down here in Florida, they can probably be a lot leaner and survive on less body fat. And then in general, females are actually uh, going to be smaller than males by about 30%, 10 to 30%, once again, depending on what region and habitat they live in. So Angie, these are North American mammals. They, they range from all the way through Central America, all the way through Mexico, pretty much through most of, of the United States and then into Canada. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously they're not in the great white North, you know, right. like the boreal forest or something like that, but you know, where it gets too cold or not enough food stuff for like for them, but they are in Canada all the way down. Then, <laughs> I, I can't believe they're re, they're introduced. I mean, it's bad because it's bad for the environment. But like almost all of Germany, into parts of France, Austria, Italy, like Denmark, they're all that those parts of Europe. Then you go to the Caucasus region, which you know is, is north of Iran, uh, south of Russia, and then Japan. They're pretty much all the way through most of Japan. The and main do islands. all these countries, I mean, I know they're adorable being mass bandits and all, but do all these countries like them living there and want them there? Or are they trying to eradicate them? Um, I didn't see anything on them trying to eradicate them because they're very hard. It's very hard well, to, sure, their range clever. is huge. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're, and their range is so big now. I think it would be very tough, but you know, like they, they do like the tropics better. They do better in Florida. Like you said, um, that's kind of more where they want so to be. So do I, Chris. So do I. I know. <laughs> Especially working outside with animals. I know. I know. In those winters. So they, yeah, and they don't hibernate, right? They, they do sleep a lot during winter, but. Correct. You know, so these, these introduced areas where, you know, they, they are, they're doing great. So for example, they were first introduced in Germany in the 1930s. And they brought them over like as a novelty species from North America. And then they, I think they escaped or some people let them loose. In Japan, 
there was a TV show cartoon series called Rascal that featured a cute raccoon. And so people imported about 1500 animals per month, per month for a wow. while. And then Japan banned it, but they don't make good pets. So they, people release them right. and then they just went nuts. Yeah. We should probably clear the air here right now with that is that they do not make good pets. They're not domesticated. You Mm -mm. do not want one in your house. They're definitely cute and furry as babies, but they grow up as very independent, clever adults. Uh, So not a good idea. Not a good idea. No, 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 no. So, and then Iran and Azerbaijan, they're just, they're expanding and, 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 and doing really well. So as introduced species, that's a concern for them. Sure. Now looking at that specifically raccoons and climate change, something we've been harboring in the last few months, it's complete opposite for raccoons. Climate change actually helping them. So this is a species that is actually benefiting. Yeah. Because as the temperatures get warmer, they expand their ranges. More food available, so they do better. So much of Europe and Central and East Asia, raccoons, that's how, you know, as it warms up, they're going to expand their territories. And then this is going to be a mammal that's going to be found throughout the world. And the problem is, obviously, you know, like we said, it's not good because it competes with native species. Right. Eat massive amounts of prey. And we still don't know their environmental damage. We still don't know. So one paper or article I I read out of National Geographic, and they're concerned with raccoons in Europe, especially the northern forests in Asia, where they can expand. So Susan McDonald, she's a professor at York University in Canada, said, Raccoons can completely upend whatever delicate balance is already there. Mm-hmm. And they're already finding that in places like Japan. And she went on to say that's because they eat everything. Small invertebrates, frogs, bird eggs, birds, small mammals, everything. So these areas where they've been introduced, it, it, it's not good. It's not a good thing. It's go- It harkens back to the Burmese python in your backyard, you sure. know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And Chris, I just find this dichotomy so fascinating for the fact that in a habitat or community ecosystem where they don't belong, they can be very destructive. On the flip side is where in North America, where they evolved, they're actually super important for the community because they do prey on so many things Mm -hmm. and it's pretty well balanced their diet and the ecosystems have evolved to be able to handle obviously normal numbers of them. But other places it's just not good. And so it's, it's just, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And you, you know, whenever you think of the Burmese Python, it's just the same. I mean, it does well in Burma. Well, actually in Burma, it's kind of not, I think it's, I think it was threatened, interesting yeah, enough, yeah, uh, yeah. due to habitat loss and human encroachment and all that. But here in the Everglades, where it's thousands and thousands of acres of natural or of national forest, doing they're, great. They're doing great. They're doing great. So, yeah. yeah, it's, but we live in such a globalized world now that this obviously has happened with several species mm-hmm, mm-hmm. traveling into ecosystems where they don't belong. Mice, and doing really rats, well. And mice and, and rats. Insects. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And insects, you know? yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's obviously something to keep our eye on. And I think that that's where evident, evident, I love that you brought up this evidence-based study because what used to happen maybe 50 years ago or so, now we have science saying like, okay, don't do that again. Yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and hopefully if we can learn more from that and get the policymakers to put more laws and regulations down about uh, a lot of this wildlife trade and the pet trade. I know, I know. We can, you know, perhaps at least prevent more damage from being done or even eventually undo some of it, right? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But yes, yes, raccoons should be in North America. That's where they're from. And I was also reading that they do like the South. And so they've actually encroached a little bit into the very northern part of South America as well. Okay. Okay. So, so it's starting to mm-hmm. start to push south, <laughs> which yeah, okay, and they're doing. Be... They they they're like all right, global climate change, no problem. Yeah. Uh, so no, obviously it's a problem for everybody all involved. Yeah. But wow, they're just yeah, they're just crafty little little suckers. Yeah. yeah. They're fun. They're, they're fun. They're fun. They're very fun. Now they are part of the Carnivoria family, so they're a carnivore. Mm-hmm. And uh, within Ooh, is that, is this where you it, answer my dog or cat question? Are they more of a dog or more? Yeah, of a cat? kind of, kind of, kind of. Not quite. They're in between. So they're also pro- the Procyonidae family, which is the New World carnivores. Okay. Which includes raccoons, mm-hmm. coatis. Mm-hmm. We got to do coatis one day. I know. Uh, I know. They're so cool. The kinkajous, the ringtails, kinkajous too. Oh, yeah. I know, Chris. I know. Now, these ones, I have no idea. I've, I've never heard of these. Alingos? Huh? Alingotes? Stump the chunk? No, we'll have to. We'll have caco to... missiles. Or caco missiles. Where are they? Yeah, in Central America missiles. or South America? I, I think they got to be They got to be down in the South. Well, they gotta we be need south some South American friends to, uh, yeah. experts to talk to us about. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that's a, that's a big family. I mean, you know, they're all kind of raccoon-like, you, you know, the coatis and stuff like that. <clears throat> Now, raccoons specifically are Procyon, that's their genus, and there's actually three species of raccoon. Mm-hmm. Now, the common raccoon's the big one. Right. right. That's the big one in North America. That's what's in our backyards. That has 22 subspecies. And I'm going to list them all now. No, just kidding. Like, I'm not even touching them. I'm like, can I go use the restroom and just give me the cliff notes? (laughs) All right. But they do have things like the Florida raccoon, the California raccoon, the Eastern raccoon, things like that. Yeah. 22 of them. Well, and I I was really, I love the picture. There's one called the Torch Key raccoon in Mm -hmm. the Florida Keys, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is on Cudjo Key in Florida. And it's really cute. It's lighter in color uh, mm. and smaller in size. It's not white, but it's very light brown and the stripes, the mask is there, but faded. And anyways, it's, it's adorable with its little black hands. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize that that there was that much variation. Recently. I know it's huge. It's huge. 22, like 22. Mm-hmm. Now the three species. So we have the common, and then so the crab-eating raccoon, which is Costa Rica through South America, and then the Cozumel or pygmy raccoon is off Cozumel, which a lot of people from North America know about, you know, if they go on cruises or whatever, which is an island off the Yucatan Peninsula. Now, this population is critically endangered, where there's only 250 mature individuals left in the wild. So... Yes. Maybe a thousand left in the world. That's it. Yes, Chris, the pygmy raccoon. Oh my gosh. I did a lot of research on that guy this week because I had no idea. And with it being critically, critically endangered, I want to see what was happening and how it's, what conservation actions are being taken there. So we'll talk about it again towards the end of the podcast. But yes, just uh, once again, a very unique species, completely different species Mm-hmm. of raccoon uh and it needs a, it needs a lot more of our attention directed towards it and in fact on Cozumel we'll talk about a few other species that do as well yeah 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 for sure for sure um because that's surprising you know because we think raccoons do do great everywhere and the commons do but this pygmy raccoon is not uh because you know it's landlocked and then obviously human exploitation and tourism things like that so Anyways, Ange, okay. So we go back in evolution. It's a carnivore. So we go back to is this the where you, Is this where you answer? Kind of. Okay. Kind of. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm so, so excited. Because that I know, rabbit I know. hole, I did not go down. I, I Like I said, I got stuck on the, um, on the uh, pygmy raccoon. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. All right. So during the Eocene, this is 55 to 35 million years ago, the first ancestor to all carnivores today. So they used to think they, they're kind of raccoon-like, slender-bodied, five-toed, tree, climbed trees. Uh, this was the first carnivore that became bears, things like that, which I'll talk about here in a second. 
And because they were flexible, you know, they exploited new habitats, food, and they just had this huge radiation out. And different types of carnivores developed, you know, with like mixed feeders such as raccoons. So, you know, raccoons' teeth, it's kind of funny. Not only is it, it's kind of like us, where it's almost omnivore, where they can rip and tear flesh, but then also crush like nuts and berries and things. So, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of very specially adapted to that. Now, during this radiation, carnivores split into two groups, Canoidea and Philodae. Philodae are your cats, right? I like where this is going, yes. Well, the four living canoid families are the Canidae, which are dogs, the Ursidae, which are bears, one of our favorite families, the Mustelids, of course. the weasels, yeah. and honey badger, mm -hmm. and Procyonidae raccoons. <laughs> so <laughs> they're actually, even though you think you know, you're going to talk about how they're a little cat-like, they're actually more related to dogs. Which is crazy. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it's because, you know yeah. what, Chris? I have been wrong like two other times. So this is yeah, out of the hundred episodes or two hundred episodes. Yeah, you, you've <laughs> only twice. It's uh, true. It's true. So it. yeah, I mean, they're still carnivores, but they're not felidae. So they're not part of the uh, the cat. And you know, they don't have non-retractable claws. So even right. though that yeah, that's been kind been. of a, mm -hmm. yeah pointing you to theirs so. <laughs> now they think this is raccoons actually kind of evolved around central america and then about two and a half million years ago during the pleistocene that's when they went through north america and they were pretty much all throughout the u.s and parts of canada so they've been around you know two plus million years you know so and, and that doing took it, doing it doing it well yeah 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 Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. That is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Now, Angie, I could not find a 2,000-pound raccoon. That stood eight feet tall. I'm well, sorry. I'm I am <laughs> deeply disappointed, Chris, because that would be maybe not the cute fuzzy little mass bandit that I. I did look up the biggest raccoon on Earth, and it was like somebody's pet that was sixty something pounds. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they fed it like hamburgers. Yeah, yes. ridiculous. Well, it had a I think it had a thyroid problem or something. But anyways, uh, that's there, my I excuse find, too. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find anything on the largest species of, of raccoon, but. I thought this would be fun. Can you name the smallest predator on Earth or out of the carnivore family? Ooh. The smallest predator. Ooh, I love this game. I have a feeling I'm going to be wrong again for like the third time in Maybe. my life no, on air in no. this podcast. But uh, I'm, I'm feeling like a weasel. Yeah, you're not wrong. Family. You're right. Oh, am I? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. Nice. Yes. Or ding, ding, I was going to say ding, ding. like ferrets. Like, but yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, Dr. Angie. Yeah. No, 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 no. They're the not least... as small as I would like to see, but I don't know. No, what the least thinking. weasel, the least weasel, or okay. in the UK, they call it weasel, grows no longer than like 26 centimeters and weighs as little as 25 grams. <gasps> so that's maybe we seven inches long awesome. or two pounds yeah and maybe yeah. we found our first uk animal to cover because we need there to get go. over there chris yes 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 yes, yes they're some will. of we our will. biggest fans and yep. i really want to give or maybe i uh maybe a fox too i have a new friend named lena she lives in okay. london and she says she, she sees a lot of foxes 
as well. Yeah, I'll have to ask Pip. I'll ask mm-hmm. Pip and, mm-hmm. and see if the weasel. So. Yeah, the weasel would be cool. The weasel would be cool. I love mustelids. Love them, love them, love them. So seven inches long or two pounds, like tiny. Oh, <laughs> like what does it even uh, eat? Like snails or something? Worms. worms? Yeah. Worms? yeah. <laughs> no, well, no, it's like it goes with prairie dogs. Tap, tap, tap. You roll Cute. Yeah. <laughs> like black-footed ferrets. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to find out. We'll have to well, find out. So that's this- that's cute, and I want to cover mm-hmm. it. And oh my gosh, I've only been wrong twice on the podcast. So yay! <laughs> only good. twice. Just kidding. I've only been wrong twice. like a lot. And luckily, no. we, a lot of our our really wonderful fans uh, and friends and conservation heroes will sometimes write us and help correct us. And so I always yes, 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 yes. We yes. are obviously a global family of experts, mm-hmm. and we need all the help we c- can get because Chris and I. Do our best, but sometimes we have little hiccups here and there. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, we can only do so much research each species and, you know, like like raccoons and now weasels mm-hmm. on the list. Now, in the wild, raccoons don't live to their full lifespan because it's so tough out there for them. As I say, they're crossing roads and oh my uh-huh. gosh, yeah. Like even in the big city, I imagine. So they can live up to 12 years but it's it's rare they they last that long in the wild. It's just you know they said on average the the average lifespan is one point eight to three point one years. Oh no! So, yeah, they live like to be three years old, and that's about it. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I, I was reading the primary deaths are hunting and trapping in cars, aka humans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, and, oh now, and, and malnutrition um yeah yeah and competition and, and disease it's sometimes tough out Ra- there yeah it is tough. we're gonna talk about rabies here in a second but yeah they 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 have it tough you know they they're they're, they're survivors now one raccoon did live to be 17 years old and under human care i read so. up to 21 so but older, oh 21 lot, okay. yeah older okay Yours is updated. Your your info is updated. You're definitely Not updated. <laughs> I was wrong there. There you go. Now, Angie, you said they're 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 toes. A couple of interesting facts about them. They're called plantigrades or plantigrade where they can stand on their hind limbs. Which is that's adorable. I, I, that's what I was gonna say. That's my favorite. Is seeing them stand up and kind of like, you know, just stand look around or hold the little egg. It's just so cute oh they're adorable and then you said okay hold their eggs so their hands like you said are human so they have five fingers on each hand and five toes on each toe very dexterous Mm -hmm. which is here's an interesting fact there's no webbing between their fingers Mm -mm. which is unusual for most carnivores most carnivores have webbing even your dog has webbing between their toes oh yeah because she's a lab mix yeah so she likes to swim but you know they, they have webbing so this allows them to open trash cans, obviously, latches on gates. <laughs> they know how to open doors, bottles, jars, and helps them climb. So just crazy. And then, and then they have vif- vibrissae or whiskers at the end of their cl- sharp, non-retractable claws. Right, so they have these little whiskers that help them feel when they're feeling around mm-hmm. with their hands. It's crazy, crazy. Well, and I was reading that obviously they have these dexterous hands, but one of their most important senses is touch. It's described as hypersensitive in the front paws, and with this hypersensitive touch, they most likely have more touch receptors and or transmission into the region of the brain that identifies and relates touch and un- like understanding what they are feeling as with, as you mentioned, the vibrace. And researchers have studied this and found that two thirds of the area responsible in the brain for sensory perception. So picking up what touch receptors or nerves in your, uh, in your skin and your epidermis and dermis, what they're feeling Two thirds of this area in the brain in the raccoon's cerebral cortex is for these impulses more mm-hmm. than any other animal that's been studied. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean it's the most in the world because obviously we still haven't right. studied a lot of animals. But this is a huge advantage for the raccoon to be able to identify objects pretty much 
before touching them with the with the vibrace and just with their own yeah. t- touch receptors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just incredible. I mean, it, it makes yeah. sense if they're nocturnal and they're out at night and, and looking around for food. But just, I mean, their brain has adapted so incredibly f- to do this. That's, that's nuts because I, I was going to talk about – we get to nutrition, how they wet their food because you always see like raccoons and rivers and streams always sure. like with their hands. Mm-hmm. And you know, they used to think, oh, they're washing their food like we do. And that's not it. It's they're gathering more sensory information. Correct. Through their paws on what that is. And it helps them understand what they're eating. So that's amazing. That's amazing. I didn't dive down that rabbit hole. Yeah, but, it's, it's oh, a- that's crazy. It's just a crazy tactile, highly, much more obviously, high, high, you know, highly developed than us humans. And these mm-hmm. forepaws are just incredible. And in regards to some of their other senses, they do have pretty good night vision and they do have a broad hearing. Uh, they can perceive quiet noises such as little sounds earthworms might make or other, other prey items, which is super helpful. But I think it's their, this highly developed tactile sense or touch sensory receptors that is just blew me out of the water this week, Chris. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. Oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. Now, one thing I did want to talk about, Angie, is is rabies. Because raccoons do suffer or can get rabies. And back when I was doing wildlife rehab in the day, this was a species we couldn't or didn't rehab because to be able to First of all, raccoons are very difficult in wildlife rehab. So hats off to those people that do it. Well, they're carnivores. So that's always yeah. an issue. And it's not just raising them and releasing them. So like possums, we raise them and release them. Sure. Squirrels, raise them, release them. Bunnies, things like that. Raccoons, it's a long process. And you actually have to kind of train them before right. you release them. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. And because they carry... Uh, rabies, you have to get the rabies vaccine, which at the time was like seven, eight hundred bucks, series of shots, and da 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 da. They're not comfortable so, shots, or at least they used, they used to not be either. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, no, yeah. I we won't do that. But anyway, so they do get rabies, and rabies is almost always fatal when you get an onset of clinical sim- symptoms. So that's why it's a disease people are scared of. Now in humans. of all human cases are usually caused by a dog bite. Mm -hmm. It's a dog that has rabies that bites somebody. Uh, But rabies does affect horses, other domestic animals, and wild animals. So it doesn't affect squirrels, doesn't affect possums or rabbits, but does affect raccoons. And then rabies is everywhere on the planet except Antarctica. And then most people die from rabies in Asia and Africa. So 95%. So, you know, it's it's, it's rarely fatal in, in the Western world. Well, I was going to say, because they have vaccines for yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, I mean, even mm-hmm. if you haven't had the vaccine, if you get bit, they have treatment for it. Yes. They treat you for rabies mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Now, it's pretty common in raccoon populations, but they aren't able to spread it to other species. And unlike dogs that get hyper-aggressive, mm-hmm. Raccoons are not. They're they're less aggressive when infected, and and you know you might probably not even see them. They just don't feel good, and then they end up dying. So gotcha. Um, so they do carry it, but you're not going to have a rabid raccoon chasing you across the street. That would be ultra 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 rare. You know they're just not hyper aggressive when they have it. So but just be be aware that they do have it. They do have it. And just when I say it's common, I don't mean that it, every animal's carrying it. It's just it, it's common in the population that certain animals have it. Right. right? It's known and to be in that species, right? Yeah. Not, you're a, right, not everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Not every raccoon is carrying rabies, and not just like not every dog is carrying rabies, just certain pop, percentage of the population, very low, very low. Gotcha. Now, before I jump to, to nutrition, I mean, like we said, it's a tough life for them. So, in North America, some of their predators are owls or the great horned owl. Uh, coyotes, foxes, cougars, bobcats, wolves, even large snakes. I'm sure, you know, those Burmese pythons. Oh, are I'm a, sure they're tearing them up. Day. Yeah, no. Yeah. But the humans are the worst, worst enemy. I mean, they're the worst for raccoons, you know, for they trap, most, hunt. For all. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Drive, we can know, do cars. good things if we work together, right? 
Right, right. Now, just quickly, like we said, I've already said some of the things they eat. They're, they're more Everything. omnivore diet. Yeah, even though they're <laughs> carnivores, they have an omnivore diet. They yeah. eat, I mean, crawdads, berries, nuts, squirrels, mice, anything they can catch. Yeah, um, it's like omnivorous yeah. and opportunistic, if you will, right. which is probably why they're widely successful wherever they go. I know. They can eat anything. Now, mainly it's it's like 40% invertebrates, 33% plant matter, 27% vertebrates. That's mm-hmm. usually. And then the urban raccoons usually are eating dog food, cat food, or they get garbage, in the garbage. sure. Yeah. yeah, that's what they... Oh, well, there's... Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. they can get in mm-hmm. there. You got to make sure your garbage is sealed up. Mm-hmm, 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 what I love, mm-hmm. the visual I loved talking about their various diets, depending on region they live in and how opportunistic they are, is that because they are omnivores, their diet might include nuts, wild grapes, apples, cherries, berries, acorns, walnuts, watermelon, citrus fruit mm-hmm. here in Florida. And yeah. all that just makes me kind of giggle. I don't know why. I just think it's so cute, right? Like a a, a raccoon on its hind legs standing up like eating a, an apple, right? Right, um, right, 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 right. So, that, uh, and yeah, then I read too that depending on where they live, some of their, one of their more uh, important components of their diet might actually be corn. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Good energy source, you know, mm-hmm. for them. So yeah, they eat, they eat everything. And like I said earlier, they d- usually foraging during the summer, uh, fall months, spring, mm-hmm. summer, fall months, winter, they sleep a lot, but they don't hibernate. So, yeah, but did I say they eat peaches, they eat peaches, plums, figs, yeah. sorry. Oh, anything. <laughs> really? like, who I, I will eat all of those as well. Like, Oh, I can yeah. eat a peach right now. <laughs> I know. I know. They eat everything. They eat everything. But they also so. eat carrion and roadkill mm-hmm. and and that's where, too, I think a lot of times, you know, with, with the car strikes or is that they might be out on the road already eating another roadkill and then what boom, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, so. Yeah. It's yeah. very sad. Always look out for those raccoons. Yes, definitely. Drive slow. And especially if you're at nighttime, I mean, a lot of times if you're driving slow enough, you know, you can see their eyes, the eye glow mm-hmm. with your headlights of your car. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are some other fun behaviors? Because these things are just fun to watch. I mean, just... Okay. I mean, I think the uh, better question is, like, is what is not some of their fun behaviors? Okay. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, as we already talked about, they are nocturnal. So a lot of the fun behaviors you don't really get to see too, too much. Uh, but of course, with researchers and just them being around in urban areas, you can, you know, you can see them walking around and foraging and and doing what they do so well. And if you're not familiar with a, a raccoon walking or running, uh, it's pretty cute. It's kind of like a shuffle walk. So they, it just makes them seem mischievous. It's almost like if I was in my hand, my hand in a cookie jar and somebody, you know, your mom walks up you trying to, and you want to like scoot out of there like you didn't do it. That's almost how their normal gait is. And so they always look like they're up to something with their shuffle, shuffle-like walk. But so here it is, Chris, what mm-hmm. they can, they can reach speeds above to 15 miles per hour with that shuffle walk, shuffle. I guess that's how they'd be running, right? When they're in real trouble. Right, right, uh, right, right. And they climb really well. They're super agile. And, and of course, they have they often will inhabit trees or a fallen tree. They like to be up. That's where they like to have their denning site where they live, and they'll raise their young. And so they're great climbers. And that's often too why you don't see them because at, during the day, if you're walking in the woods, they're hiding out most likely in a tree somewhere. And now if you're in an urban area, they may prefer like a barn or an attic or just somewhere up high. And they can definitely get into some places where they humans might not want them to be in because they are so agile. And being great climbers, how far do you think they can fall without having any issues? Uh, 10 feet. That's yeah, story high. Right. I, that That's what I would think. Yeah. Cause you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. anywhere from what, what do you say? 20 to 40 pounds, uh, right. 30 kilograms, whatever it is. Right. So 
No, they're much more agile than that. Now we know they're cl- more closely related, related to a dog Dogs. than a cat. <laughs> Uh, however, they are not typically bothered by a 30 to 40 foot drop. Wow. 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 Or that's really ele- high up. That's 11 to 12 meters. No, yeah, three, no injuries. High. Like off they go. Wow. So Ugh. yeah, I mean, that's to me just shows how agile they, they are and that it, it doesn't seem to bother them. And just really what an interesting behavior. I, I, I never knew that. Um, so their home range is really like where their den is and where they want to be is usually where they forage. And they typically really don't go further than one to three kilometers looking for food from their den. Some reports say up to 10 kilometers, and but it's pretty rare. They like to kind of eat and play and sleep in the same area. And as we kind of previously mentioned, they live up north really well, Chicago, as I mentioned, or even into Canada. And it gets cold there, but they do not hibernate. They just have that body fat ready and they're just, they just slowly <laughs> burn it off. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So they'll live off those fat reserves. And I mean, they'll still try to forage on, on things. Um, but it's basically if they put on all that weight, it's okay. If they, they lose some of it. Um, I tend to be the opposite. I'm like, oh, the sweaters are coming on now. Now I can start. <laughs> now that I don't have to be in shorts and t-shirt, like mm-hmm. let's uh, let's mm-hmm. store some of this fat as well. So, but what I also found interesting is that they're really solitary animals. So I don't know if it's because of their how they're displayed on you know cartoons or just in general because. They're so darn cute. I feel like I want to see lots of them, like meerkats, right? Like I want to mm-hmm, see lots of mm-hmm. raccoons, raccoons living together because they're just right. adorable. But no, they're they're really they're really quite solitary. And the only really real social group is going to be a mom and her offspring. Occasionally, a male may stick around a little bit before breeding season or a little longer, um, and then maybe stay a little bit later, but not much. I mean, uh, so. In general, they're going to be by themselves, which I still just don't fully understand because I feel like when I've seen them in the wild, I feel like I see two of them together. But mm-hmm. maybe it's because it's breeding season. And I right. Don't, I don't, how, I, I, how do you feel about that? Did you usually see I mean, one? is it like siblings, you know? Yeah. That's I mean, what well, I'm I wondering if it's, like, if it's like kids going yeah. together or... Yeah, I don't know. And I did see one up in LA like uh, last year. Okay. I did see kind of a big one. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 yeah, when we get to repro, we'll talk a lot more, but yeah, just a quick spoiler alert is that I guess the ones I'm seeing together are going to be the mom with the offspring cuz she'll she will stay with them for about a the offspring will stay with them for about a year until like the next season. But I feel like they're similar sizes. I don't know. Um but yeah, so it's probably a mom and offspring, or as you mentioned, siblings going out to just <laughs> like teenage siblings going out to cause uh, wreak havoc in the neighborhood. Uh, so maybe that's why I thought they were more social than they really are. But mm-hmm, typically mm-hmm. in general, mom and dad are not super social. So when you talk about how they vocalize, is it more like, you know, I kind of see like not clicks and whistles, but like that's underwater. I don't know why I'm thinking of dolphins and whales. Because they're so cool. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, I think, chitter chatter, I, yeah. I, I think one of their endearing things about them is you're right. They have a lot of noises. They do chittering. They do whimpering. They do mm-hmm. screeching. Uh, researchers have identified some say up to 200 sounds. Uh, and as far as different noises, they purr. See, that's why I thought they were a cat <laughs> in the cat family. Right, right, uh, right, right, right. Uh, they can be very aggressive with snarling and growling like angry raccoons. So they have a lot, a lot of vocalizations that I think can help identify how they're feeling, right? Um, the baby raccoons will make whining and, and light crying sounds and almost like mewing sounds. So yeah, they're, they definitely have a lot of vocal ways to signal to to each other or obviously to humans or whatever, you know, what they're feeling like get away is probably how they're going to be around humans. That's why you don't want them as pets. But with mother, you know, with mother and offspring or 
to adults that are courting, there might be a lot more of like the chittering or more happy sounds, purring, things like that. So yeah, very, very vocal. And they also communicate uh, with each other through glandular secretions. And then also they have some nice stinky urine and feces that tells, uh, and, and since they have a, a good sense of smell, it will tell the other raccoons, you know, what's happening in their life, both where they're at uh, physically, and then also physiologically, uh, are they coming into season and really important information from one raccoon to another. Yeah. Yeah. But the rabbit hole that I went down this week, one of them, many, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was their intelligence because it's no secret to me, at least, and probably to many of our listeners that a raccoon is known for its almost primate like intelligence. They're known as clever beasts. They're known as the sly coon. And of course, clever and curious. And we use all these words to describe them, right? Even bandits, right? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so they just, we've talked a lot about their behavioral flexibility, especially when foraging and living amongst humans, whether they live in the attic and they shouldn't, or they uh, forage in our trash cans or our dog food, which they shouldn't. But a lot of this behavioral flexibility is awesome for their survival, even in countries probably where they shouldn't live. But it's also been linked to pretty complex cognitive abilities, which is something that I'm obviously really passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they and so researchers have performed series of tests on their cognition, if you will. How smart is this guy? Now, the research is not as extensive in the raccoon as it is, of course, in primate species or even in several birds and just other highly quote unquote intelligent species. But since the 1900s, researchers have been fascinated with them. But as early as 1970s, researchers Cole and Davis were studying them and finding that basically raccoons can rapidly undo complex combinations of fastening locks and they quickly learn from learning sets. The speed at which they could understand abstract principles of these certain locking mechanisms and was equivalent to rhesus macaque. And then work in the 60s showed that they could solve cross-string problems, which I don't know what that is. So I, I'm assuming I couldn't do it. So it must be complex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me uh, either. Yeah, me yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they can also remove obstructions in order to obviously probably get food or something they want. And that was, uh, that was comparable to monkeys that were also tested in similar in the 90s, they were, have been tested to identify different symbols and do well at that, no problem. And a couple studies is, in regards to their memories showed that they some of these solutions they'll remember up for up to three years. So, I mean, wow. I barely learn remember anything that I learned like in my last class. <laughs> last week, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And Chris, even more impressive, uh, Dahane reported in this book called The Number Sense that raccoons can tell the difference or count, basically more or less, uh, between boxes containing two or four or three grapes. So it had the ability to understand numbers and groups. And a really cool dissertation that I found, yes, that's how deep of dive I went into. I read somebody's <laughs> thesis. Dissertation? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It's uh, it was out of the University of uh, Toronto in Ontario. So yay, Canada! Um, mm -hmm. Jennifer Colombornia. I totally said that wrong. Col Colbornier, Colbornier. Anyways, she. Uh -huh. I'm super jealous, super jelly of her. She got to study object permanence in the raccoon. And mm -hmm. a lot of her experiments and studies showed that they they didn't have as ho the highest level out there as far so our object permanence is realizing an object it's kind of like that cone trick where you mix okay you put a nut under one three different cups and you mix them around and you know where did the nut go and so they didn't have that super developed one to like be able to follow the net the nut in the cone but they had like the next lowest level which was up there with a lot of species that are known to have good cognition, not the highest, but good. 
But she also a lot of researchers also say that you know we it's one of, it's again this kind of conundrum of we might not know how to best to study them, like we're having them do our experiments that we think make you smart, uh, but that it, there's might not be the best way to do it. But that they do have pretty decent high levels that as they age, the adults do have um, a good grasp of some object permanence. And then a really cool study. And there's still debate, and that's why I love research, and you and I are evidence-based. But in 2017, they did this cool study with raccoons. And I think, I know they've done it with ravens too, or birds, we haven't covered it. Researchers have a cylinder, and they fill it with water, but not very much. And then for the raccoons, they drop marshmallows in the water. And I love that they use marshmallows, because who would not Mm -hmm. want a marshmallow? So Mm -hmm. the... The goal is is for the raccoon to get the marshmallows out. And and obviously they can't knock it over or whatever. And a couple of the raccoons that were tested were able to figure out how to get the marshmallows out by displacing the water. So putting objects in the water and then it raises the water level, which brings the marshmallows closer to hand. Right. Okay. And they can get it. Okay. So some researchers are claiming like, oh my gosh, that's like super genius and wow. Because like I said, they've done it with... I, I believe it's super intelligent birds. I, I think ravens mm-hmm. and of course primates as some primates as well, but others are saying, I guess that they were able to retain, obtain the reward using like other, other ways too, as well. So I think we need a little bit more testing on that before we totally have that claim to fame, but you know, being able to problem solve something like that is definitely well within their reach. Uh, it seems like so it's like monkeys. I mean, mm-hmm. and they're up there. They're smart. Super, yep, they're super smart. smart. And so I just, I, I don't know. I just, I'm super, I'm, it makes sense that they've been able to be as flexible as they are, but yeah, their intelligence is just, I just, we just keep learning more about it if we actually take the time to, to study it. So mm-hmm. pretty cool stuff. And then bridge into repro. I know they have multiples because I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's personally. nothing cute. So raccoon, cute. Raccoon kids. Family. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they're pretty much polygonous and promiscuous. So there's not a lot of, you know, monogamous behaviors going on. And, uh, and so depending on their geographic location, their breeding season is going to be somewhat different, whether it's from January to March or goes a little bit longer into June. So it mostly has to do with photo period, which is super fun for Chris and I because we studied a lot with horses. And so their breeding cycle is going to be influenced by how much daylight there is. And so... Depending on if you live in Chicago where, man, I remember going to work at 6.30 in the morning and it was dark out and coming home at 3.30, well, I should say I was done at work with 3.30 p.m., but getting home around 4 p.m. and it was dark out. Yep. Washington State when I was there. Yep. Same thing. It's crazy. Yep. So in the wintertime, we have these really short days and not many daylight hours, but obviously in the South, it's in Florida, it's... Not great, but it's not quite that bad, right? So they're gonna, the females are gonna come into estrus and start uh, being receptive to males' courtship behaviors, and then, of course, able to ovulate depending on when they're triggered when the days start to get a little longer as we, as we move into springtime. But what is interesting is females have kind of a short estrus period of a couple days. So there is the window when they, you know, they really need to meet and fall in love. Um, But what I was super fascinated by, wondering if they were more dog-like or cat-like, if they were spontaneous or induced ovulators. Chris, what do you think? So spontaneous well, being cats. like humans where we just I know. Just I'm going to say they're spontaneous, but you you think they're cats. Right. And spontaneous means you need the actual, um, the the interaction of the breeding to have the female. Yeah. Uh, well, the induced, right? To induced mm-hmm. ovulator means they actually breed. And then the spontaneous is just whenever. I say spontaneous. Well, you're kind of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wrong. Okay. Uh, and right. I, this is why we love science, right? So there is mm-hmm, a debate. Mm-hmm. 
once again. And, and it still blows my mind. Like, how do we not know this about a common raccoon? But I know that it does appear that in general, they are induced ovulators. Although mm-hmm. under human care and captivity, spontaneous ovulation has been reported. Hmm. So they think that okay. there's a lot of visual auditory olfactory stimulus from the males that, you know, might not actually need, they might not actually need the actual physical act of being bred that maybe it's just some of the, mm-hmm. the if they're under human care and captivity, that's just some of the, maybe this pheromones, I, but it's, it, it's still under debate, but in general, in the wild, they do think they are induced, which that's why I was thinking team cat, but I was wrong mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But long story short, they meet, they fall in love. Um, A female is going to gestate for only about 63 to 65 days. And the female will have about one litter per year. As we mentioned, litters are three to seven. Boy, we hope they're seven because they're so cute. Mm -hmm. But typically Mm -hmm. they're four. And these kits, as we'll call them, are born in the summer. Give them time to find food and fatten up before winter. And when they're born, they're itsy-bitsy, helpless. They stay in the, the den, in the tree den. Their eyes don't, don't even open until they're 18, 25 days of age. They're weaned around day 70. And by 20 weeks old, they'll start foraging. Mama's going to teach them how to hunt or forage, if you will. And that's like, as you mentioned, with rehab, which is why that can be such an issue if they don't have right. mama around. If you, right, if right. you find it a litter, a lot, if you, yeah. you know, you find an abandoned litter and mama's not there to help teach them these amazing behavioral skills, flexibility, yeah. being opportunistic, the skill set, and you're just feeding them food, they're not looking for it, then that's really hard on them. So, and then uh, the kids or the juveniles will stay with their mom usually f- through the first winter. So about pretty much about a year. And that's when you, so that's probably who we see traveling together to the trash cans. So uh, and then of course they'll be mature when they're about, um, one years old and, and two, one, one year in female and two years in males. Now, like we said, Angie, the, you know, common raccoons conservation wise, they're doing great. We're not concerned about them actually worried that they're invasive in parts of the world. And then again, that pygmy raccoon, you know, population max of around 955 out of the IUCN. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones that, that are, uh, Really, the ones we have to look out for. Now, I'm just going to some conservation tips on on how to help, you know, especially in North America. You know, this is this is good tips, I guess, anywhere you live in the world because of wildlife. But protect your trash, mm-hmm. right? So raccoons, like specifically, can't resist trash; they just love it. So you kind of need secure trash can lids. And if you have a raccoon or you suspect a raccoon's getting in your garbage. Things you can do to prevent that is bungee cord the lid down or you can put some some weight or whatever on top of it to keep the animals out. It's just, you know, they they know it's in there and they're very crafty to get in there. Something else, you can use heavy-duty trash can bags if you use it. I mean, I don't know. We're trying less plastic. But, you know, if with meat, you want to double bag it to reduce odor, you know, so they find it, things like that. Um. Another problem with raccoons is they tend to like to nest, especially in urban areas and like roofs and chimneys and Correct. stuff. Attics. So yeah, attics, Bombs. you got to make sure you don't, you don't have any holes in your roof where they can get in. And, you know, especially with your pets, don't leave your pet food outside like I did because they'll get into it, you know, so make sure it's sealed and that they can't get in there because they need to not depend on us for their food. They need to be out there in the wild doing what they do so anyways is there anybody out there fighting for raccoons i mean they're doing pretty good except the pygmy i guess right and so i I, i'm really happy that you went over a lot of uh just kind of common sense wildlife and and it's not just raccoons but other other animals that depending on where you live bears if you're up north that will go into your trash and so it's good to secure your trash and have some of those look looking out for animals especially raccoons and others but no, of course, since they're doing well in North America, there's really not any any groups. But I, once again, spent a lot of time on the pygmy raccoon this week just mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I had no idea uh, that it was a different species of raccoon, let alone that it was critically endangered. And so 
when I was looking for a organization that we could help give a shout out to or promote there, I couldn't find anything. And Mm -hmm. so my, you know, there's been very, there's a few species that have, are, are obviously in trouble that really don't have anybody fighting for them. So if any of our listeners out there are like bored and need a passion project, <laughs> uh, Cozumel would be an amazing place to visit. If you like that, you That's know, true. If you to go like work, uh, work there. Um, but I did find a really nice blog article that I, we can put on our show notes, um, from national, national geographic society by Kevin Schaefer, who is a historian, a conservation photographer, he's gone and spent time kind of documenting the story about the pygmy raccoon and, and trying to capture their story and tell it in a very important and critical way. And so uh, kudos to you, Kevin. And he just has found that uh, some of the issues are, are on this, on the Island. They actually really are used to people. And sometimes people do feed them, which once again, seems cute, but in the same instance, doesn't really help them develop skill sets to survive. And Mm -hmm makes them want to come closer to people and roads and things like that. So, but the Mexican government, they, they are using science-based solutions um, to try to make, to make progress uh, to help save these guys. Uh, they've added a couple protected areas on the Island since 2010. And um, they're trying to provide new regulations about how, about wildlife and wildlife interactions. And and there's been some education programs underway a little bit. um, But once again, nothing formal, at least that I could find And that. Once again, I I could be wrong. I would love to know, or maybe Kevin knows, I can maybe reach out to him if there's an actual organization where we could, we could give, you know, give support to. Uh, But what was super fascinating, Chris, and I'll just end with this is that, Mm -hmm talking about the pygmy raccoon on Cozumel being critically endangered. Cozumel, which by the way, I've snorkeled off of Cozumel and it's just beautiful. This is 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, but beautiful. I've been on Cozumel briefly. I mean, probably just to have lunch or something when we were snorkeling. So I haven't spent much time there and I haven't been to Cancun in years, but I uh, would love to go. It's just a beautiful, beautiful area. And they, and they do a lot with tourism there, especially with snorkeling mm-hmm. and or ecotourism and things like that. But the Cozumel Island off the coast of Mexico has two critically endangered carnivores. Oh, okay. The pygmy, there's a pygmy raccoon and the dwarf coati. Oh, yeah, the coatis, okay. So they're endangered as well. And and these guys being critically endangered are some of the world's most threatened carnivores, if you can believe that or not. So we need to find some groups. I uh, once again, I know the government is doing some things, but uh, as far as I, I, I couldn't find necessarily um, a nonprofit per se dedicated to helping some of these critically endangered animals in Cozumel. So, um, so yeah, we need to keep our eyes to that, and yeah. I'm going to reach out, like I said, to, to to more people because so far, like I'm thinking, John and I need to start a nonprofit about hippos. <laughs> Moving to Cozumel. So we have either hippos yeah, or okay. uh, uh, now the pygmy raccoon or the dwarf coati. Uh, and okay. I'm thinking, okay. geez, where would I want to spend more of my time? Cozumel or Africa? Or uh, Africa. Yeah, I know. They're both. Know, there's really no. There's really no wrong answer there, right? No, we'll do both. We'll do both. Mm-hmm. Half the year here, half the year there. So. Love it. All right, fun episode, fun animal. This is Love Raccoons. Just amazing, amazing. Gotta love them. And uh, just stay tuned. We're gonna keep uh, rolling species out each week. So take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.